Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you are joining us here live, Facebook Live. Yes, we are okay. I am fine. There's no problems here. We're feeling great. Not, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, anyway, so we're just having some fun this morning. Thank you for uh, working with us for the next two weeks as we are trying to be extremely safe. As Pastor Dennis mentioned, it is our passion. It is our in, important responsibility to make sure that everyone is safe as possible. So as mentioned earlier on the tape that everyone in the house here, there's three or four of us in the house. So uh, we still are the church. And you're the church, and you're watching along with us, so we are the church. Uh, so I just thought I had some fun with it. I'm trying to make light of all of this, so work with me here. I'm not a comedian. I'm trying really hard. All right, so when we've been talking about GPS, God's pursuit for sinners, and we've been talking about compassion and about Jonah and how he went in the other direction. Last week we talked about that, and we talked about GPS using directionally. What is your direction? What would you put in your address box? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about that last week. We hope that each one of us as believers will put in there, we want to reach those who are far away from God. That would be our ultimate goal, our ultimate passion. But we would want to know that in order to do so, we have to grasp the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. We have to understand in those moments in our lives that that is where God is trying to get us to know him in a way that we can ever, ever imagine that we could. But it's in sometimes in the moments when we're struggling, in those moments when we feel we're like in a pit, and the times when it's tough. So we're going to talk about that today, but I just thought I'd throw another little quick little uh, story about GPS and how we didn't have any. Back in 1999, when my wife and I traveled down to Williamsburg when we were living up in Pennsylvania, we were just married a couple of years. We had one child, and one thing you have to know about Joya and I, and especially Joya, is that she wants no pit stops. She just wants us to get there. If we, if we have to go to the bathroom, we got to hold it as long as we can, and we got to get to that destination. Now, we're only about four hours away, five hours away. depends if you get traffic or not. So we caught on some traffic. We're traveling down, and we had no pit stops. We made it down there. We made it on a full tank of gas. We pulled into our hotel, pulled in, got our luggage inside, and thought, you know what? Let me just go and move the car, move the van, because we had to move it to the back of the property or the building. And when I went to go try to start it, it didn't start. I sat there and I said, you got to be kidding me. How did, wow, that's a miracle because if we stopped and tried to start again, we would have been stuck somewhere on the way down. Well, I checked and realized the battery was not working and I had no chance. I had no, no one to call on. I didn't even, look, I looked in the hotel. There was really nobody there. It was just us, believe it or not. It just We were only one there right at that time. And so I didn't even want to bother. I just said, you know what? I'm going to need a new battery. So I had to walk. Now, I had no GPS. I had no cell phone. I had no idea. I just asked the person, is there in, you know, a Kmart, which at that time in 1999, Kmart was prevalent. So we, I walked to Kmart and then walked back and happened to have a few tools in my van and was able to replace the battery. But I'm just going to tell you that I wish I had a GPS. I wish I had a cell phone then. I didn't. And it was really, really, really strange to ever go through that. But I would tell you that that's not a great example of you need a pit stop because my wife doesn't believe in those as much. And she'll be sitting there like this at home going, no, nah, that's not true. But my kids even say that now. It's like we just got to hurry up and get to the destination. But you need a pit stop. 
In fact, NASCAR racers, they need it. Drivers, they need pit stops. In fact, they have to. I notice some of you are like me. You would love to have forever tires, forever parts. Uh, you don't ever want to stop. You want to keep moving. You want to keep going forward. You don't want to feel like you ever have to stop. But in order for a driver, a NASCAR driver, to win the qualifying race or whatever, if they have to win the race, they have to have multiple pit stops to get the tires changed, to make sure that they have plenty of gas, and make sure they can get through it. Well, I read up on one, and they actually win awards, but can you imagine a, a crew? This is what they have typically on a crew. They have a coach, they have four tire changers, because those tires are huge, a jackman who jacks up the car quickly, a gas changer, catch can in case something happens, an eighth man, and obviously a coach. And so they change four new tires and 22 gallons of gas in 14 seconds. That's insane. I mean, it takes me a lot longer just to fill up my tank over there anywhere I go. But these men have to be fit, ready to move quickly in a choreographic manner. They have to move quickly. If you ever want to look it up, it's amazing what they do. And in order for the driver to potentially win or at least qualify or win, they need a good pit crew in order to get it back on the road. So a pit stop is necessary for all those who are like me who don't like to have pit stops. And see, that's what we want to talk about this week, about Jonah. We want to talk about what is your pit stop? I mean, what is it that's happening with Jonah? It was obvious. He was rebelling. He was going in the other direction, 2,500 miles in the other direction when he only had to go 500 miles to obey God. And here he wanted to get away as fast as he could. And we talked about it last week about how the sailors, the Phoenician sailors, gave their lives even to God and, and, and looked to God for help. And he wouldn't. He just kept running away. So God could have got rid of him, could have pushed him aside, he could have said, you know what, I'm done with you. But no, God in his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness, he holds on to Jonah because he wants to reach Jonah. He wants to reach these sailors and ultimately wants to reach the Ninevites. There are evil, wicked people, as we mentioned last week. And so now there's a pit stop. If you look with me to chapter 1, verse 17, that lone little verse at the end, most would just kind of breeze over and go into the next chapter. But it's actually an important verse. Let's just look at it. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So here he was. And remember, he, he hurled a big wind, a storm. He, they hurled cargo over, and he was hurled over the ship. So that would mean the end of his life. At least for most people, if not all people. But with Jonah, God had a plan. And so Jonah is hurled over, should have died. God should have got rid of him. But instead it says this, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Now, if you're swallowed up by a big fish or a whale or whichever kind of, we say it's a fish because the Bible says it's a fish, a big fish, he should die. But we're going to find out that he didn't. But key word right here is that the Lord appointed the word can be used as sent in another version. But it means to be appointed. So God appointed a fish to swallow him up. Now, can you imagine God? Why would he even do this? Why would God bring forth an opportunity of discouragement and toughness and a trial and an impossibility in the life of Jonah? Because he cared enough to not let him go. He loved him enough to say, I'm not done with you yet. 
he appointed, he, he is the God of creator who is the creator of all things, and he pointed a big fish. Sometimes in our walk or sometimes when we're going down the road or sometimes we're in some kind of direction, God has to put us on a pit stop to show us what he can do. And sometimes he has to put us in an impossible situation to show us that how vast and amazing he is. So amazing that he would even allow Jonah to be swallowed up by a fish. And you would think that was the end. And we're going to find out today that it wasn't. It was just what we would probably call an orchestrated pit stop. God just pushing him or pulling him to the side and saying, I need to show you who I really am. Because by showing you who I really am, then you might represent me a little bit better. And if you represent me a little bit better, you might even have compassion for these evil, wicked people. Because I want to change your heart. And so as God is showing him down this journey and this road, he wants to change his heart. We're going to find out at the end of the story. The question is, was his mind changed or was his heart changed? Because that's what we really want to understand at a pit stop. What's the purpose of a pit stop? What's the purpose in going through it? And so it's key. Now, look, in, in, verse, um, in verse 2, it's important for us to understand one thing. That he says this in verse 1, excuse me. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his, his God from the belly of the fish. So he's in this fish and he prays. That means he's looking to God now. He's not giving up. He's looking to God. When he's praying, he's saying, God, I recognize now you're the only one that can get me out of this. As you might see, there's a ladder over here. And when you're in a pit, or we can say a pit stop, or I'll even use the word pit because you'll see this in this verse is that sometimes we just think, okay, I'll get myself out of the pit, so we'll just kind of start climbing out. But the thing is that someone's got to provide the ladder in order for you and I to get out of the pit. So we can't get ourselves out of a pit because the ladder's not in the pit. Someone's got to drop the ladder in order for us to get out of it. And so it's so important for us to recognize that here he is. He's looking to God to drop a ladder in his pit. That's why he's praying and he's seeking God. He's seeking and chasing after God. And so for us, what we have to understand is that God uses these pit stops, even a so-called pit in our lives, metaphorically speaking, that we're in a pit and we can't get out. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? And sometimes we need these moments to realize that we've got to return back to God because Jonah needed to return to God. And so sometimes they're time-consuming. For again, I don't like pit stops. I like to keep moving. I want the forever tires and forever parts on my, in my life. Just keep moving. But God's saying, wait a minute, we need to talk about a couple of things. So this is what he's doing with Jonah. So in the time when we know they're time-consuming, pit stops can be God-orchestrated. And when they are, they're necessary for a couple of things. And let's talk about that. One, they're right on time. They're right on time. So here he is now. He needs this. Although he's thrown off, the, thrown off into the sea and God brings this pit stop of a belly of a fish, he's inside. And pit stops sometimes are need for us so that we don't get off course, so we don't get lost. See, that's the purpose of it. Sometimes we just need to pull over. Sometimes most believe if, 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 I, if I need a pit stop, then I'm a bad person. Oh, God just has to change me, doesn't he? I'm so messed up. God has to fix me. That's not the case. Sometimes God wants to pull us over to show us that he wants to impart his mercy, his grace, his compassion, and forgiveness in us. God wants to show us that he wants to build in our lives faith. 
It's not so much because he wants to point out that you're off or that you're inadequate or you're not worthy enough or you're not good enough. God doesn't work that way. God is off, often just showing forth to us some pit stops or even a pit in our lives that we're in. He's trying to show us his love and his mercy and his grace. And sometimes we just push him away. But here, Jonah, in verse 2, if you see, he's realizing that he needs to turn to God. Look with me to verse 2. It says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of my trouble, out of my impossible situation. And he answered me. Wow, he got a quick answer. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. So a couple of things in this verse. One is that he did call out to God. He prayed. He called out to God in the midst of his distress and he recognized that God answered him. But he answered him while he was at his very end. The belly of Sheol, Sheol's considering the Hebrews underground in the lowest part of the earth, almost like a grave. And we'll see that in the Sheol, maybe it's a time when we really hear God's voice. We're in the midst of a pit. We're in the midst of a pit stop is when we really truly hear because we're so busy thinking about all the other things we have to do that when God stops us, pulls us over, and even shows us that we're in a pit, we start to realize that that might be the time when we hear God's voice and we will recognize that he's the one who's going to deliver us out of it, that he's the one who's going to drop the ladder in our pit, but yet he's not going to drop it because he's patient because he wants to reveal things in our heart. He wants to show us because he wants us to grow in our faith. So they're right on time, and right now, Jonah, it's right on time. He recognizes in his rebellion and his disobedience that God's saying, I need to show you a couple of things. But here's a key word in this verse as well. Not only the belly of Sheol, I cried. And he says, you heard my voice. Now, interesting enough that the word heard is actually Shema, which we understand, too, the Shema is mentioned in Deuteronomy 6. So what God is saying in the word that he, he's saying, I, I, he, you heard my voice, is that God speaks through his covenant loyal, his, his relationship with his people through his unconditional love, his covenant to his people. That's where God speaks. And when we hear that, then we are comforted with his love. We're comforted with his law. We're comforted with the fact that he's holy. We're comforted knowing that he cares for us even in the midst of the pit. So when we cry out and he hears us, we know that we can be comforted to know that God hasn't given up on us. That God's not saying there and pointing out our wrongs, but that he's actually trying to instill in us, impart in us his mercy and his grace. That's where we can find it in the Shema. Look with me in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 5. I want to read it to you. It says this, now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules as he speaks to the Israelites. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, this is Moses, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So these are Israelites who are to possess what God has called. And also, it's important to understand, too, there are people of God, identity of people of God, who are to show forth to other Gentile nations who they really are. So God is instilling in them the importance of the Shema. And then he goes on, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments. So it's obedience, which I command to you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. And he goes, now here, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord. See, he wasn't doing well, Jonah, and God had to bring him back. And the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Here's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is where God is heard most from all of us. In the midst of our pit is when we know that God loves us. That's the place we need to be. Because when we're feeling down and out, discouraged, almost to the point of depression, we feel like we're in a pit and we're alone and no one else cares. We feel as though God has even given up on us. We're in a despair at the end of our road, at the end of our rope, and we want to give up. That's when we need to know the Shema. That's when we need to know that God has heard us when we hear the unconditional love that despite me, in spite of me, my condition, God is still displaying his unconditional mercy, grace, hope, and forgiveness. And then when I receive that, I want to tell someone else about the love that I've received from God. That's the Shema. That's where he was heard. He goes, you've heard me in the midst of my distress. You've answered me, Lord, because I remembered of your loyal love. He even goes on further in the deepest cry that he had. Like when we see in different Psalms, there is actually Psalms that depict what Jonah's cry was looking like. Even in one of those specific Psalms is Psalm 116. I want to read this to you. This is said to be, though, we don't know who the psalmist is, but it's someone like Jonah who's speaking. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Here it is now. Gracious is the Lord. Here's the testimony. And righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountiful with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Wow. Because this is what he says in the next verse. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. He's describing him being in the waters. And the waves, your waves and your billows passed over me. Meaning God casted him. That's Hephel again in the Hebrew. Like I mentioned last week, it's God doing the work. He casted him in. He recognizes it. And God's allowing this pit stop, this place where he's in a pit. He knows now. Can you imagine if you feel like you're in a pit right now? Do you know God has you there for a purpose so you can know his mercy, his grace, his righteousness, his hope? Do you know that? You know that whatever you're struggling with, God is there present with you and that he loves you, that he hasn't given up on you, he hasn't abandoned you, he hasn't said, I had enough of you, I'm letting you go. No, he casted him in there because he wanted to work on him. In fact, in the Hebrew, he says, your breaker waves, you brought waves, meaning it was God who used the instruments. The instrument was his creation. He used the waves and broke waves all over him to make him feel as though he was lost and hopeless and he had no hope. Do you know God is allowing you to be in a place where you feel hopeless right now so you can turn to him? Do you know that's when heart change really happens? You don't want to ask God to take you out of that situation. A couple of weeks ago, I was saying to God, Lord, if I'm in this situation, let me be. Don't take me out of it. But if I put myself in this situation, then please help me out. 
It's God who wants to meet you at the place of hopelessness and helplessness. In the midst of your pit, God wants to deliver you out. It's right on time. You might think you're hopeless right now, but God's saying, no, this is right on time. Son or daughter, brother or sister, father or mother, grandparent, God is meeting you where you're at. Martin Luther says this of Jonah. Jonah does not say the waves and the billows of the sea went over me, but the waves and thy billows, because he felt in his conscience that the sea with its waves and billows were the servant of God and of his wrath to punish sin. Yes, he's in a pit because of his sin, but God's still merciful enough to reach him. And if God's merciful enough to reach him, he's trying to say to him, Jonah, I want to show you this mercy so you'll reach what, 600,000 people in Nineveh. That is what should be our, our cry and passion that we would want. And that's what Jonah needed to have at this time. So it was right on time. Number two, we know that time-consuming, God-orchestrated pit stops are necessary because they put us back on track. They put us back on track. Look with me to Jonah chapter 2, verse 4. It says, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet... I shall again look upon your holy temple. Let me just stop there a second. Because the idea is that you, you might say, wait a minute, Bruno, you're going to stop at the word I said? Yes, because in the Hebrew it's important. That's an important word. The word I said is amar. And really what he is saying, it's, it means an inner speech. So right now Jonah is saying something. It's not as though God is telling him. He's feeling right now in the midst that he's been driven away from God. Now, I just said that God has him in a pit for a purpose. He has him at a pit stop for a purpose. And yet he's saying in his own self, I think you're just driving me away from your sight, Lord. You just want to get rid of me. But God has been doing the opposite. By sending a fish, he's saying I'm saving you. But in his flesh, in Jonah's flesh, he felt God was out to get him. And so in his inner speech, he was saying, I think God is out to get me. Even in, um, as we understand too, is that it's really the word driven means I have been expelled from your attention. Well, wait a minute, that's crazy. <laughs> he hasn't been expelled from his attention. God has every certain desire to want to reach Jonah just as much as he wants to reach the Ninevite. Or he would have had him smited and killed in the waters, in the belly of the fish. But no, God says, I, I do care about you. Even in Psalm 31, 22, it says this, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. That was what the psalmist said. He goes, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. It's so important for us to understand that. But you ever felt this way? You ever felt like God was saying, or that you're probably saying to God, I bet you're just done with me. How much longer do you want to put up with me? Lord, I don't think your grace can help me out in this hopeless case of mine. I want you to know that you're off track when you speak like that. I'm off track when I speak like that. God wants to put us back on track. He has to be the one that delivers us out. Just like with the ladder, he has to be the one that brings down that ladder in the midst of the pit. We can't look at our pit and saying, it's hopeless, it's helpless, you've abandoned me, you don't care about me. God is saying, I'm right there, I want to be there with you through it. 
And I think that's when we have to realize that when we start speaking like this, just like Jonah did, it's way off. Jonah was even to the point, some would believe, scholars believe that he could have been suicidal, even though he was already in a situation where he should have died. See, that's what the enemy wants us to. The enemy wants us to give up. The enemy doesn't want us to believe God is patient with us. The enemy doesn't want to believe that we're in a pit. God is actually there. He just wants us to give up. I'll tell you, if there's ever a time in our lives right now where we are in a history, unprecedented, uncertain time, it's now with COVID. If you don't feel like you're in a pit, you're not really grasping what's going on around you. <laughs> because I'm telling you, we're, we're in a pit. We're at a pit stop, but God's not mistaken by him. He is present with us. He's with us in the midst of all of this, that he can deliver us, that he's the one who's going to get us out of it. He's the one who's going to drop the ladder when he sees fit to do so because he's sovereign God in control. But I think he's trying to get us for our hearts to change. See, if you want to get out of this situation, it's God saying, no, I don't, I don't want to get you out of this situation until I want to change your heart. And I think that's the same thing with Jonah. He's here, and he's just saying, okay, you know what? I'm still going to look to your holy temple, even in the midst of this. We need to look to the holy temple. Here's even some recognition in verses 5 and 6. The waters closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountain, which we have to understand there are mountains in the sea underneath, at the roots, at the very bottom, I went down to the land whose bars closed me forever. Meaning, in another version, it says the netherworld, a place so far off to where I, he's saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I have no hope. There's no way I can get out of this. But this is the beautiful last part of verse 6. Now, watch this now. This is so key. But he goes, yet you brought me up. You brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, O Yahweh Elohim. You're the one who took me. This is a resurrection. This is likened to the resurrection. It's likened to the resurrection. He, he recognized this. Look, look at other psalms that a psalmist would say this. Oh, Lord, you have brought me up, my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And as I mentioned earlier, Psalm 31, 22, the same. He goes, but you heard my voice, my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. That is the word right there. He called him out. He put him back on track. Do you know that that word in the Hebrew is similar to the resurrection? In verse 6, you brought me up my life from the pit. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus mentioned about three days in the belly of Jonah. Jonah in the belly for three days is likened to the son of man to come and that he would have to do the same. It's God who resurrects us. It's God who delivers us. It's God who puts us back on track. It's God who's saying, no matter where you're at, I'm going to deliver you out of it. Whatever pit you're in, just call out to me, cry out to me. I'm there for you. Because then through that, you'll learn my mercy, my grace, my compassion, and you'll be able to share that with others. Number three, it says this. Time-consuming, God-orchestrated pit stops are necessary because they never thwart God's will. They never, they can never change them. No matter how tough it is, no matter how much of a struggle it is, 
It can never change God's will. God is sovereign in control. He's there with you in the midst of your pit. He's there with you at, at the pit stop because he wants to work on you and me. He wants to change our hearts. Now look at some of the language as we go further into this chapter. Look at some of the language. He goes on to say this. When my life was fainting away, meaning he would say at, at the very end, in the Hebrew it means when my life was at the end of the road, I was about to die. I thought it was all over. God was done with me. I'm at my very end. He said, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. See, no matter what, we have to understand is Jonah is a prophet. And a prophet knew the voice of God. And the prophet understood, even though he might have rebelled, he knew. God should have smited him because he was deemed a false prophet. But instead, God had mercy on him. And he had the voice of God. And he understood no matter what struggle you go through, no matter what difficulty you go through, no matter what pit you're in, you have to remember one thing. You've got to remember the voice of God of compassion, of mercy, of forgiveness, of grace. Because God is the one who saved us out of a hopeless situation from our sin. And in just like your resurrection in verse 6, now 7, he's saying, I remember the Lord. The word remember is, is the idea of remembering the covenant. He remembers the Lord. He remembers his character. He remembers his love for his people. He remembers the Shema. He remembers that now my prayer came to you into your holy temple, meaning into your presence. That in the midst of my darkest moment, in the midst of my pit, I still believe you're present with me. So Jonah cries out. He's looking to God. He knows God's will is still in present. It's in his grasp, even in the midst of his struggle. And he goes on to say this. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Let me just break this down a second. Those, I think the worst sin we could have in our lives is idol worship. Because you know why? Idols serve us. Think about it. Any idol that you have is really to serve you. It gives you pleasure, any kind of pleasure, whether it's a heinous, sinful idol or it could just be watching sports. It serves us. I got to tell you, last night I almost texted Pastor Dennis. I was like, dude, man, the Mets and the Yankees are playing. I was so excited. It wasn't an old game. I was thrilled. I didn't care if there was nobody in the stands. I don't care if they had those pitchers behind the backstop. made it look like people were there. It was just great to see baseball again. But sometimes because it's an idol in my life, I love baseball. And it was good to see the Yankees beat the Mets. But here's the thing, though, even though it was just a summer league game, because it was just good to see the Yankees playing again, even though some guys were wearing masks. But the, but the vain idol is that it serves me. I was so comforted at that time. It was like I just ate a big pizza all by myself, eight slices with all the trimmings, you know, like in New York, Dennis. And so it's like, you know, it was, it was like it was heaven for me. I was like, shoot, I'm not studying right now. I need to watch a game. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the game, and I'm just comforted. But it was an idol. And what happens with idols is when idols serve me, I forsake learning from God, his mercy and his grace. That's what Jonah was saying, forsaking the hope of the steadfast love. Because it's, we learn God's hope. We learn his steadfast love in the midst of a pit. I mean, think about it. I know the times where I grew in my faith in the deepest way was when I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm learning about God's love and about his mercy and his grace and his compassion. And Jonah's learning that. And he goes on to say this, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Meaning, just like the Phoenician sailors wanted a vow to be paid back, so Jonah wanted to do the same. 
Now, someone would say, wow, his heart really changed. I would venture it didn't. The situation changed. His mind changed toward God. But his heart didn't ultimately change. Because in the depths of his heart, he was still struggling with wanting to have compassion and mercy and forgiveness for people like the Ninevites. He was struggling. You know, I failed to say it last week. I'll say it this week. We always want God's compassion, but sometimes we want condemnation of others. We just, it's a natural thing in our flesh. You really want to look deep into your soul. A lot of what we struggle with, envy and jealousy, because when someone else is blessed, we're like, what about me, Lord? How come you won't bless me? Deep down in our soul, we're saying that. We have to fight that. Jonah at this point didn't want to look back. He just was thankful God was going to save him out of his struggle, out of his difficult, most impossible situation. Because he goes on to say this, salvation belongs to the Lord, which is so true. Salvation belongs, meaning the rescue only belongs to God. It is God who drops down the ladder and gets me out. He's the one If I were to raise my hands, God, get me out. He's the one who drops the ladder. I don't do it. I can't do it. It's impossible for me to do it. When I'm in the midst of a pit, I need God to deliver me. And it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Wait a minute. God sent the fish and then he spoke to the fish to vomit him out. Wow, what a God. What what an amazing God. What an incredible, amazing God that he commands his creation to do whatever he wants them to do. He is amazing. And see, God wants to do more than just change a situation. He wants to change our hearts. Because the word mercy that God calls out for us, the one that he says to us, is the mercy that we see, a hesed love. A love in the Hebrew that says that it's grace upon grace upon grace. And that's where God is calling on his people to get a hold of his compassion, his mercy, and his grace in order to move forward. Because then there where a changed heart ultimately will be will be where we can have compassion towards those who are even evil. You know, I, I'm not trying to keep the theme of the Holocaust from last week, but I thought about Corey Temboon and her life, her and her family and how they, they tried to preserve the Jewish people in the Netherlands. And in the late 1944 time, they were caught. The family was caught. They were sent to concentration camps. And when they were um, sent there, they were once sent to a political one. And then finally, the last camp, Corey and Betsy, his, his, her sister, excuse me, was sent to a woman, women's labor camp in Germany. There they held worship services after the hard days at work by using a Bible they had managed to smuggle in. When they were imprisoned at this camp, Betsy and her sister began to discuss plans for finding a place of healing after the war. Well, Betsy's health continued to deteriorate to the point where she died in December of 1944 at the age of 59. But before she died, she told Corey this, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Fifteen days after she said this, Corey Timboon was released 
afterwards, she was told that her release was because of a clerical error. And that a week later, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. So God allowed her to be in a pit. To have a pit stop in her life. A very difficult one. Very evil one. And yet God kept her for a purpose. Do you know what? What happened afterwards, this is what happened. This is the compassion of God. After the war, Corey returned to the Netherlands to set up a rehabilitation center. And the refuge housed concentration camp survivors and exclusively sheltered jobless Dutch who had collaborated with the Germans during the occupation until 1950. When it it accepted everyone in the need of care, she found out that her nephew had died in a concentration camp. She returned to Germany in 1946 and met with and forgave two Germans who had been employed at that concentration camp that she was at, the women's labor camp, and one of whom had particularly been cruel to Betsy, her sister. Ten Boon went out to travel the world as a public speaker, appearing in more than 60 countries, and she wrote many books during this period. She received the mercy, the grace, the compassion of God to extend her life. She in turn returned it by saying, I'm going to be compassionate towards evil, wicked people. I don't know about you, but I'm getting goosebumps right now. Because I can't seem to understand that. I'm offended if someone says something, just a small little thing to me. And this woman was willing to forgive the people that mistreated her sister. That led to her death. This is the kind of compassion we need. This is the kind of changed heart we need. You know, I made a statement here. I said this, a changed situation only turns the tide. It's just for a moment. But a changed heart can turn the whole world upside down. And it starts at a pit stop. That's where it starts. For Corey Temboon, it started something like that. For you and I, it could start there. God is not interested in changing our situation, nor changing our mind. And those two are great. Sure would love a changed situation right now with this COVID thing. Sure would love a changed mind. I just would love my mind to be changed a little bit and feel happy and joyful because it just feels like we're locked in. But I want God to change my heart. And it starts with me repenting and crying out to God. I just want to end with this. I I found this psalm. There are penitential psalms that you'll find in all of the books of the 150. This happens to be one part of it. I just want to read this to you. And a penitential psalm is one that uh, the psalmist was crying out for repentance, lament. And I think that's where we as a people, Pastor Dennis and I and our leadership team have been talking about how we need to be praying more, seeking and chasing and asking God to repent for us to repent because life change needs to happen. Heart change needs to happen, not only in our church, but all around the world. The, the church needs to change. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Even Pastor Dennis preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline, discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O oh Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O oh Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? Turn, O oh Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of my steadfast, your steadfast love. 
There we go again, steadfast hope and love. For in death there was no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I, found, I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. What is your pit stop? Are you weeping or are you just hoping this whole thing will be done? Are you just hoping it goes away? Are you taking a moment to say, God, what do you want to change in me? Let me encourage you today. My hope and my prayer is that each one of us would cry out to God. That we would repent, lament. You're saying, wait a minute, I don't see any sin in my life. Just pray a little bit and God will reveal your sin. Just say, God, show me my sin and I can assure you, I'll guarantee it. Within 10 to 15 minutes, the Holy Spirit will start to reveal your sin because we all have it. We're, we're just, but that's okay. Isn't it great to know that in your pit, God is there? Isn't it good to know that he'll hear your prayers when you cry out to him? Isn't it good to know that the Shema, the love of God is right there? And all we have to do is return it by saying, I love you, Lord, with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love, and I want to love my neighbor as myself. Well, that neighbor right now is Ninevites. That neighbor right now is the wicked, evil people around you. Wouldn't it be cool if God could use you and change you for his glory and his honor and his praise? Let me leave you with that. I want to pray for you. Whatever pit you are in, because I'm in one, but I know God is there with me. Let me encourage you. Let me pray for you. And this week, may you just long to be in his presence. Look at the holy temple. Look to him this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us that even in a pit, or if it's a pit stop, you are present with us. That, God, you hear our prayers because we're looking to you, the holy temple. And, Lord, we can remember you, as it said in verse 7. We can remember you because of your loyal covenant love, your unconditional love for us. And, God, I'm so grateful today that we will not forsake your mercy in our lives. We will vow to be committed to you even in the midst of our, our pits. And, Lord, I pray that in the midst of our deep pit right now or our pit stop, that we know that you're the one who will bring us out of it. You're the one who will deliver us. You're the one who's our salvation. You're the one who delivered us out of a debt of sin. We deserve hell, and you delivered us out. And you chose us by grace, by mercy. We didn't deserve it, never will. And, God, today we know that even in our sanctification, you will deliver us. So, God, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of racial discrimination, in the midst of our nation, in the midst of all that we have to deal with, in the midst of ourselves, you will deliver us out of our, even from ourselves. So, God, we cry out to you in the depths of our being. May our tears be flooded in our, on our beds. May we just be drenched with tears so that you can rescue us even so. God, deliver us, give us peace, give us hope. May we truly repent. And may, God, you give us a new day, a new week, a new excitement as we move forward for your kingdom's sake. Lord, we love you. May this pit stop be one that we would so desperately need in our lives. Let us learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen.